Crusaders and welcome to another edition of Batman, the animated series podcast. I'm your host, Alex Robson, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my brother, comic book artist and writer, and the under-to-my-dweller, it's Mr. Will Robson. <laughs> Say hello, Will. Under-to-your-wearer. <laughs> well, we've got director Frank Parr on the podcast today, director of such episodes as The Underdwellers, so I thought I'd chuck that in there since uh, it was one of his least favourites to do. <laughs> <laughs> how you doing bud yeah i'm okay i'm still doing this uh work for this games company and just having a chiller life and just reflecting on things you've got time to think now yes i'm enjoying the spring and i've been watching the birds in the garden and i've been feeding the squirrels and talking to the crows we determined that like everyone in our family loves watching birds but i'm just like these are the stupidest fucking things to watch ever yeah like, I like it because, you know, you get to, I love nature and I love animals. And so like getting to like, well, so do I, I know, but getting to like see them and feed them. And, and then you get interesting new ones that come into your garden. It's almost like collecting Pokemon really. But then, <laughs> but also like the, they trap, like you, you might see a bird that's like, Oh, usually this bird like spends its winters in South Africa. And now it's in my garden. Like, I think that's so fucking cool. Like yeah, the history I guess I, this bird's gone through. You pointing that out, and there are uh, there are these like parrots or like parakeets that are really common in England because way back when it was brought over for the Queen and they didn't know what to do with them, and then they just fucked all over London and had babies, and now literally you're like walking you're like walking down a London street and like a flock of parrots fly by, and you're like, where the <laughs> fuck am I? Do they escape? But, There's yeah. loads of birds in London that are just like were gifted to the Queen. Like you walk yeah. through that park. What was the park you walked through, where you see all those exotic birds? It's that Green we... Park. Yeah, or the Royal Gardens. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah, I just love that shit. I know it's like really fucking lame, and and you know, bird watching is definitely a sign of being middle aged. But <laughs> uh, it's very peaceful, and like especially when you learn their calls and stuff. And there's certain like birds that. I heard in America and now I know they're cool and it brings me back to times like you know me I'm a sucker for nostalgia so I've I've even found nostalgia of the fucking birds in my garden <laughs> so there we go well how's the uh, how's the art life going I know you just said you've had a lot of time to reflect and things are going smoothly but this project is almost wrapping up that you've been working on right yeah, I'll be done with that tomorrow. But in the meantime, you know, I've had extra time to work on my own stuff. So I've been putting out breaks together because I've still got to, you know, put that all together, get it printed and sent off. Um, I'm sending some print samples to the printer because I want to make sure everything's perfect because I'm, you know, I'm very anal about all this stuff. So I'm trying to make it the absolute perfection of the way I saw it in my mind. I've been studying a lot about like um, trading cards recently because I've been kind of making a trading card game that is a company's outbreak. So when people go on the Kickstarter, you get trading cards, this, that, and the other. So I'm having a lot of fun, like creating merch right now, basically, and like the outskirts of everything. And, And I'm hoping to expand that potentially into doing more stuff like that professionally. So we'll see. No, that sounds great. Um, I can't wait to see all of the the stuff you come up with because that sounds really cool. And right up our street, like that's the type of shit that when we were kids. Like if we liked something, we would want to get like as much of the different merch that we could that we liked. So you're doing all the I, same thing. All I'm doing is the, the only reason I create stuff now uh, in terms of merch is is I ask myself what would I buy as a child? Like if if when I was a kid, if this was available. 
And that's why, like, for the next issue, I'm doing that um, ode to Resident Evil 2 on PlayStation 1 variant cover and stuff because I'm just having fun, you know? Just having well, fun, creating this product for me, and if people enjoy it, then that's great. Yeah, I mean, if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong because it's your Absolutely. own stuff, so that's cool. Well, today we are interviewing director Frank Parr, director of such episodes as Be a Clown, I've Got Batman in My Basement, Vendetta, Prophecy of Doom, Mad as a Hatter, The Cape and Cow Conspiracy, The Underdwellers, The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, Tiger, Tiger, Birds of a Feather, Shadow of the Bat, Parts 1 and 2, The Warrior Men, Paging the Crime Doctor, The Terrible Trio, and Bullet for Bullock. So we will get to that. But first, buddy, are you ready for a Kate Capers? I am. Showtime. The Joker's escape from Arkham Asylum, Robin. All work and no play, you know? It's gonna be one of those nights. I don't have time for jokes. Hey, no problemo, Batman. Quiet. Come on, let's do a pizza run. You don't touch anything, say anything, or do anything unless I tell you. Got it? Relax. You've had a busy day. <laughs> All right, this week's Caped Capers has been written in by Serena Caledonia. Serena has said, Robin. Serena Caledonia. Caledonia. It's spelled C A L L A D O N Y A. So I can only imagine that is Caledonia or Caledonia. Could be Caledonia. Caledonia. Chicken Caledonia. <laughs> Uh, Serena has said actually before I even get to that I realised our last Cape Capers which was uh, really challenging because we had to do so many accents and so many different people and so many different characters that we had to do last one and uh, I forgot that it was stipulated that Batman and Robin and Superman come in and break it up but we never did that <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that but half the time people give us a pitch and we completely go off like the gym thing was supposed to uh, have Robin doing terrible and like Batman being embarrassed we didn't do any of that yeah well I mean we'll, we'll do our best but it's that's... it's all off this is all improv you know it, it just wherever it goes it goes there's no plan at all exactly but yeah no I just I because I listened back and I was like oh yeah <laughs> we never did that <laughs> Anyway, Serena Caledonia has said Robin has a science fair at school and enlists the help of Alfred and Batman to help him with his science project. What did they end up making? And will Robin get the A? And which villain will show up with their own science project to challenge him? Okay. <laughs> okay, so, all right, first of all, <laughs> Batman, um, I wouldn't mind if you helped me there because you... you oh, you, you wouldn't know, mind if I helped you, would you? You know so much, Batman, and I just thought that maybe you could help me build... I was thinking one of those paper mache volcanoes. I, I, I think I so could. Oh, wow. You're going to be one of 900 kids doing that at the fair. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what, Batman? I thought it was original. I thought it was quite cool. And you told me you went to a volcano once and you fought a ninja there and it was really cool. Yes, the very popular character, the ninja. <laughs> yeah, fought him there. Kyodo came, Batman. Remember his name? <laughs> yeah, Ki Kyo dude. Yeah, Kyo dude. That was his name. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're look. You're gonna have to. You're just gonna have to find someone else. I'm too busy. I'm solving crimes. You know, I'm in the Batcave. You know, I'm Polly, so I'm dating a lot of women at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Talia's so, cool with it. <laughs> what I'm thinking is that maybe what can happen is Robin will go to Alfred, right? And yeah. get help. 
and they'll build his science project. And Batman will start to feel left out. So then Batman, instead of having a villain showing up with their inside project, science project, what if Batman goes and finds <laughs> Jason Todd? <laughs> I could help you with this project. Or we could turn this into another exercise in who is my next Robin? Yeah, who is my next Robin? I know this guy, Jason Todd. He's pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. And he had, he's got some great ideas. And I think, yeah, I think he's going to, I'm going to back him in the science fair. I, I follow his Twitter and he he, he, he tweets some good shit. You like I, it? He made me join TikTok. Okay? <laughs> I wasn't on it before. No, no, there's like me and Alfred in the back cave. We do little synchronized dances. <laughs> Isn't that Alfred Pennyworth? Bruce Wayne's butler? Yeah, we're just friends. Like, <laughs> can a Batman have friends? Yeah, Alfred, he's a pretty cool guy. Speaking of cool guys, yeah, Jason. So why don't you take Alfred, I'll take Jason, and then whoever wins can be my next Robin. Jeez, Batman, I just wanted to do well in school. I didn't know that I was going to lose Doing my Doing well job. in school is just as good as being Robin. Robin. This is this is terrible. Hey, don't be a dick. <laughs> dick. <laughs> Look at you little, you little fucking dick. I prefer Robin, Batman. No, I think you prefer Dick. <laughs> Hello, Dick. Uh, Mr. Alfred, sir. Uh, That's Bat Mr. Pennywise to you, young. Pennywise? Are you oh. a clown? <laughs> Hi there, Dick. <laughs> I hear you need help with your science project. <laughs> I just can't get over the face you make when you do that. I'm trying to like, do my eyes oh, like separate. Oh, God. Oh man, and then just imagining just Robert, just Robert standing like at like a train, like I don't think that you're the right person to help me with my science project, Mister Pennywise. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, <laughs> Alfred's not helping him anymore. Okay. Pennywise, the clown is. Oh, oh but Mister Mister. But which which Pennywise, the normal one or the the Tim Curry one? Um, well, Tim Curry was once the Joker, wasn't he, okay, in this show? Yeah. So, can you oh, do that one? Hello, Dick! <laughs> it's funny. Wait, no, you're more of a Richard, aren't you? But yes, that's my full name, Mr. Pennywise. Well, hiya, Richie. It's me, Pennywise the Clown. I like Richie. Mm, I like, I like clowns. Of so course you like Richie, Richie. Yeah, I mean, there's one clown I don't really like, but we don't talk about him. Oh, no, we don't. I almost played him at one point. <laughs> but I didn't. You weren't, you weren't very good. <laughs> I was terrible. <laughs> like this impression. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, Hiya, Georgie. Yeah. Hiya, Richie. I like Richie. Hiya, Richie. Say, I got plenty of volcanoes down here. <laughs> Of all the other kids I've helped with their school projects. <laughs> and did they all get A's, Mr. Pennywise? They certainly got A ten. What? A plus. <laughs> they got A pluses. <laughs> yes. Must, must have been a Freudian slip. Okay, so, all right. What I need is I need one volcano, please, and I want it to be so good that Batman's going to keep me as Robin. Well, I have it right here. You just got to come down and get it. You got it in that drain? I don't want it from a drain. Ah, oh, it shoots sewer. It's amazing. Sewage, not sewer. I'm in the sewer. 
Is that like when someone has diarrhea? I don't want that type it's, of volcano. Yeah, it's like my butt. <laughs> Why do you sound like Gilbert Godfrey as Pennywise? <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> I do Gilbert Godfrey impersonations as a side gig. <laughs> What about what about one of those containers for an egg that don't crack, Richie? Containers for an egg that don't crack? Is that something Yeah, that you exists? chuck the egg off the roof and it don't crack because it's in a container. It's a classic. Do you think that's what Jason Todd's going to do? Because that sounds really clever. Oh, Jason, that's a pretty cool guy. That's who you're up against? <laughs> Even Pennywise don't fuck with Jason. He made me join TikTok. <laughs> Now Pennywise is doing dances in the sewers in his spare time. Oh, I'm trending. <laughs> You're kind of annoying, ain't you, Richie? <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> no one seems to care about Richie anymore. I think the best thing to do is come down here and we'll find you a science project. Or you can go figure it out for yourself because I'm losing interest fast. Okay, here comes the dick. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to call myself now. No one seems to like it. <laughs> Batman's there. Jason Todd's got the sickest volcano I've ever, ever seen, and, he, and and Batman's like really hamming up. He's like volcano classic. I would have done the same thing. Great choice. Everyone's like, I'm not going to do volcano because it's so overdone. But you did it, and no one else has done volcano. You're the only volcano. Look, you even, uh, you even made a little figurine of Kyodai Ken, one of my favorite villains. Yeah, that's his name, Kyodai Ken. <laughs> There's no cap on the volcanoes. Oh, the cap's gonna burst off the volcano. <laughs> I like that Jason's like silent. You know, he's just like yeah, nodding. Yeah. Wow, he's that's pretty he's cool. He's just texting. Yeah, yeah he's te <laughs> What's that? <laughs> uh, you know, you can't talk to me if you want to. I know no one's ever heard you speak because you know that you're wearing a red hood now and it's covering your mouth and all that stuff. <laughs> hey, where's uh, where's uh, Dick hat? Hmm? Where's my little Dick hat? <laughs> little Dick. <laughs> Little Dick! <laughs> Shouting Little Dick in a room full of children. At a school. Tiny Dick! <laughs> where, are, where is the Little Dick? <laughs> I'm just coming in stinking of sewage with no project. <laughs> Batman, I've had a terrible day! <laughs> Robin's like, he's like, ah, I survived living off of just, like, this... Uh, cage thing that has an egg in it and the teacher comes over and they're like oh my god this is the best egg cage ever you win the whole science fair it reminds me of a little Why boy when i was a little boy back in back in the motherland and, and, and my, my teacher made me an egg cage and it made me pursue a career in teaching science to americans yes that was my dream then now so you win Hiya, Brucey. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I forgot you existed. <laughs> what if Pennywise was in the well that Bruce fell down? Instead of seeing bats, he just saw Pennywise come out of the dark. Yes, Pennywise, I shall become a clown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Could you God. imagine that was what he does? He pops down, he strikes fear. He would strike fear in criminals. If, yeah. if the someone that strike the Batman hopped down and was like, <laughs> Gonna kick your ass. I feel like, oh god. With like wonky eyes and stuff. Yeah. That'd be so weird. Uh, even Joker's like, I I'm giving up, man. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, can't be that act. 
right, well, that's um, all weird. That went, yeah, like I said, it goes places and there it went. <laughs> yeah, Pennywise it and, and lots of dick. <laughs> right, dirt, dirt, dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a written review on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now, as it helps us back grab all up the charts and attract both new listeners and guests. And if you leave a review, we'll read it out on the pod on our new You've Got Mail segment at the end of each episode. Also, tell a friend about the pod or share it on your socials, as that's the fastest way to grow a podcast. And please go follow us on social media at Batman TAS Pod on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, everywhere but Twitter, which is at Batman TAS Pod One. And that's because why? Because we are the number one Batman the Animated Series podcast. Yeah, goddamn right. And on our socials or in the description of this episode, you'll find a Linktree account, which includes a tip jar where you can give us any amount of money you can afford to give if you so wish. Podcasts cost money and become even harder to monetize these days. And as we aren't billionaire playboy philanthropists, any amount you can afford to give us is not necessary, but always greatly appreciated. And finally, you can follow me everywhere at Chef Alex Robson. And you can follow Will on his socials to stay up to date what he's working on now and get a glimpse into the workday of a comic book artist and writer. Will, where can our listeners find you? Anywhere at Robson Inc. on the internet. And that's Robson I-N-K. That's right. All right, let's not delay any further. Let's get on with our chat with director Frank Parr, shall we? Yeah. Hello, Cape Crusaders. Please join me in welcoming a very special guest to our show. He's the director of 16 episodes of Batman the Animated Series, as well as the sequence director for Mask of the Phantasm, plus directing credits for Gargoyles, Todd McFarlane's Spawn, Men in Black the Animated Series, X-Men Evolution, and 38 episodes of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Please welcome to the show, Frank Parr. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Oh, thanks for coming on. Will is here as well, as always. Hello, everybody. I'm also here. <laughs> so, Frank, thanks for coming on, man. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. For all of our listeners out there, you directed 16 episodes of Batman, which were Be a Clown, I've Got Batman in My Basement, Vendetta, Prophecy of Doom, Mad as a Hatter, The Cape and Cow Conspiracy, The Underdwellers, The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, Tiger Tiger, Birds of a Feather, Shadow of the Bat, Parts 1 and 2, The Warrior Men, Paging the Crime Doctor, The Terrible Trio, and Bullet for Bullock. Whew, that was a lot. God, was that the one with the children? Not the Underdwellers. That was your first episode that you directed yes, for this show. Yeah. There, there's a lot of ironing out in, in the uh, story and directing departments on on that one. <laughs> Look, <laughs> you know, it, it gets, uh, it must have been challenging because obviously it's a very different episode from most of the show, especially being your first episode. It gets a lot of flack, but we, again, we just reviewed it recently it. and we think it's really good because it's a it's kind of an insight into bruce cares so much about these orphan children that you know he he goes the extra mile and even brings one into wayne manor so we really liked that aspect and why don't we just kick off in asking you what what was it like on the show directing and being a sequence director for the show as well like what was the process like for you well we'd always we'd always have our discussions about the show you know uh, eric and bruce we wanted to do something different, and a lot of us came in from the the Marvel G.I. Joe Inhumanoids 
stuff like that. And so that was different kind of storytelling because that was very fast paced. You know, you, you would cut the scenes together very fast because you would never get very good animation out of any of that stuff. And the con, you know, it's, it's like when you watch X-Men, the animated series, it cuts really fast all the time. Right. And there's not a lot of time to let character bits play out. And so we were trying to unload a lot of a lot of that baggage and get more into actual cinematic storytelling. Right. Not just visuals, but you know, it's like we need to get the give a character time to just go and see his expression during that thing because those are very important in batman uh, a lot of these stories are, are, are were very reflective of personalities you know we were, we were reestablishing all of the villainy all the villains it's like you could say we, the writers reinvented them all from you know the goofy corny kind of things and we we gave them all depth and so there was a lot of uh i, I know at least for me i mean someone like Kevin Altieri, he just came out, you know, hitting a home run with uh, Ranbat. Right, you know. yeah. Uh, and others, you know, I mean, some of these shows are fairly complex, and we're trying, you know, the under, I mentioned the underdwellers. There's a lot of mistakes on that. That you know, It's one of those shows, and, and there are several shows within this that I wish I could go back and redo. Because okay. uh, I know so much more now than I did then. Underdwellers is very much about, you know, it was Oliver it was Fagan company. Yeah. I would say an even an evil Fagan, more so than 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 was in the you know Oliver. But there's a lot of things I, I I would I would dearly love to have done, you know, with the kids and things that I know now. But back then we were still obviously we were still kind of experimenting. Well, I you know what like I think that's it's pretty amazing because even though you were experimenting and you look back on it now. There are so many episodes in the list of episodes that you've done that are some of my absolute favorites, like The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, which is all about Hugo Strange, you know, and developing this machine to read Batman's mind. And you've got the Joker and Two-Face and Penguin in there. It's just a fantastic episode and storyboarded and and told really well. Like it's one of those it's just one of those episodes that has my attention the moment I look at it. And I suppose I was thinking today because I watched it again today because I just I really like it in preparation for chatting with you, just looking at, you know, how you storyboarded and how you placed your shots with that whole process. What was it like taking Bruce Timm's character concepts and turning them into animated figures? Well, it was a lot simple. It was a lot more simple than drawing uh, the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a few of those X-Men. I storyboarded a few of those X-Men things. At, at, at some point but bruce's designs i mean he was going back to uh uh cleaner lines uh simpler shapes uh something that that i tried to uh not copy but emulate when i went on to gargoyles you know we had that you know they're very different designs mm. but they had the same animation philosophy behind them you know the the simpler it is to draw the better it is for the animator to do these things right uh, that's what batman was all about alex toth 
was a big inspiration, as well as the original Superman. I would yeah. say, you know, even the old Hercules series, there's influence in that as well. But those designs are very, very simple, and they, these were designed by master animators. Back in the early days of TV, the DD was just being, you know, coming out. And he went back to that and he made it his own. He created a, a design that uh, has held up over all these years. So when, you, when you're boarding and you're doing that, it's, it's, it's trying to get the clear shots. It's trying not, it's trying to do, you do your setups, uh, you got these beautiful characters. You also can't just think about, it's the characters because oftentimes the background were just as important as the characters in these pieces. When you look at anime, for instance, uh, oftentimes you don't have a chance, they, they don't have the budget for a lot of heavy animation. They reserve all the heavy animation for the battle, for the, for the, the fighting stuff. But sometimes they'll just have this big, beautiful, long scene, a lot of talking, just these little characters that aren't really animating, maybe a little slide here and a little slide there for ambience. It gives a personality. So we'd look at stuff like that and we'd, and we'd look at old, you know, at a lot of film noir movies. You know, we'd look at Orson Welles movies uh, for the setups. Uh, Do you remember um, particularly the specific anime that you were looking at at all, or any of those? Back then, there were so many. You know, everybody goes with Miyazaki. Hmm. Uh, everybody was on Miyazaki kickback, and they still are. You know, but there's there are other things. When we were doing G.I. Joe, we used to do, we used to look at Macross all the time because of all the uh, the fighter aircraft and setups and things. And since it wasn't being done in Korea, it was being done in Japan. When we were doing all the old G.I. Joe stuff, they have a different system of uh, camera, a different camera system than, say, having it done in Korea. You know, an American, the American influence on the Korean is that, you know, we'd have a flatbed and we plant the image down, you know, beyond the pegs. And it was very simple up, down, left to right, right to left sort of thing. So the moves, camera moves are very simplified. Whereas when you go to the Japanese, they didn't clamp things down the way the American system did. They just kind of almost winged it. So when you look at a lot of these early cross, Robotech would have been called, and you look at that and you see all these sweeping angles, you know, they would they would rotate and move like they were alive. That's because they didn't have the system where you clamp the 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 the, the cells down to the to the platen on right. the animation camera. Uh and and so they were able to get all these sweeping kind of things. And because of that, we had we had a lot of studios overseas. We had a lot of them in Japan. We had a lot of them in Korea. It's like knowing which studio could do what. Yeah, what was that like working with multiple studios? And you Well, know, you had to know the studios. I mean, we had great studios and we had some that were not so great. Yeah, I know that Acom was one that was not so great that um, even got fired. Yeah, they had issues. Yeah, I had, I had, everybody had issues with ACOM, but during that time, it, it wasn't just about the studio itself. It was about how they did things. And I was talking about the camera, the tech, technical things of that. You know, they were they very much worked on an American system of doing things. And so at that time, we were doing a lot of the layouts ourselves in studio and 
you had to know a lot of tricks about timing. And there's my, you know, I mean, everybody had had experience in doing layouts themselves. I had a lot of experience. Boyd Kirkland was pretty much an expert on everything. But I had a lot of those ACOM episodes. Right. Uh, because, you know, I, I maybe it was unintentional. I don't know. But. What, stick, you know, stick Frank with the bad animation studio? <laughs> well, it, it wasn't that simple. It was, it was, it was really you get scripts and sometimes you look in a script that's going to go to one of the Japanese studios and you look at a script that's going to go to the Korean studio and you got to figure out which one do you want to come out looking better. Right. Which is a better story. So decisions were made. Well, who knows layout more? So was it already kind of determined before there was even any animation done what episodes were going to perform better, or at least what they thought? Well, were going you to know, it's better. hard to say because we we would have some storyboards that were just amazing, and they come back, and and even from some of the Japanese too, they come back looking like crap. Right. Bruce and Eric, they would always try to figure out which was going to be be the best thing, and I look at it and I go, oh, "Gosh, I got another ACOM episode." <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I'm going to spend a lot of time in working on the layouts to make that. Crystal clear. Well, it's not just Acom. It was like Dong Ying and a few mm-hmm. others, and and some, you know, I mean, they weren't always bad episodes either. And and when you get those, and I, because I think I I knew a lot more, with the exception of Boy, about layouts. I got a lot a number of those shows. So I would be doing the storyboards, and I'd be going over the layouts. When you do the layouts, you have to work out the timing of the pans and and try to do all these different types of things. And they would, you know, sometimes a show that was crap, you know, I think, I think Bruce had mentioned at one time that Matt is a Hatter. Or, uh, yeah, that's one of your episodes, right? Other, one, of the, one of the others that he didn't think it was going to come back looking as good as it did. And, well, it came back looking as good as it did because he put a lot of work in the layouts on that thing. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the work was done by us here that the overseas, they understood he immediately what we wanted there was no guesswork to them and so it came back looking better than what their reputation you know had, had said you know so right. depend on what we gave them honestly you know the best better work that we would give some people the better it would turn out so it's not just like this is just a bad studio or not we had to do our part as well it's like the comic industry that's i mean i i always draw better and write better when then the story is better it's just this the way it is yeah, it's well, a good that's point. The thing, though. We got some good writers. I mean, I worked a lot with Michael Reeves uh, and Paul Dini and that. And, you know, and, and Randy, you mentioned Randy Rogan. Mean, those guys are fantastic writers. I loved working with all of them because their stories were so easy to go through, you know, to, to just visualize. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I think that's why this show just still stands the test of time because when you've got a really good looking show with really good storytelling, I mean, it's just going to continue to, I know there's generations. I don't know if you've experienced this, but obviously, you know, we were the kids when this show came out, we were the target audience, but now our generation is giving it and showing it to the next generation, to their kids. And it's just continuing on from there. And I don't know if you've experienced that yet, but kids now still watch that show and it doesn't look dated or anything. They're like, this is awesome. This is Batman. I've never seen this. This is great. Well, again, we were, it was being, re, re, we were reinventing. We were, we were breaking, we were treating it more like mini movies. 
yeah than a cartoon well let's talk about let's talk about movies for a second because you were the sequence director on mask of the phantasm the first animated film for batman the animated series which originally was supposed to be only a, a on vhs release but then changed to being released in theaters on christmas day it was a very limited release yeah the you know we didn't have the kind of budget you would like for a uh a theatrical maybe yeah. it was pumped up a little more but it was a tv budget i also is it true that um since it was originally supposed to be for more of a television vhs format the moment it got pushed for theaters it didn't have to be drawn on bigger cells or something like that or the or the it was something to do with the um aspect oh, ratio, yeah, ratio. The, well the, the aspect ratio and also depending on on how it was done you on how the studios were i can't remember the the studio that was animating it so i don't know the specifics eric uh radomsky he was the guy that uh i mean i mean he was the Honestly, he was the true hero of that series because he 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 understood a lot of the technical and he would deal with overseas a great deal. And whereas Bruce would get really much involved in the creative, it was always Eric that got the show pushed out, right. got it done, you know, and soothed egos. He's doing all that sort of thing. So he's kind of the unsung heroes. Yeah, because Mask of the Phantasm has multiple directors and multiple writers yeah. on it, doesn't it? So um, I, I assume they probably gave you multiple sequences for you to storyboard and do. You know, I can only remember one. Yeah, they did. And I, I can't remember all the sequences, quite honestly. I remember the graveyard sequence. And I remember oh, was that, that, was that you who did the graveyard sequence? I didn't storyboard that. Okay. That was that was Ronnie Del Carmen. Okay. Now, you know Ronnie? Uh, I've heard that name before. Yeah, uh, but please remind me. Ah, you know, he, thank he's you. A big, he's a big story uh, director at Pixar these days. Right. You know, part of part of our arsenal. Every now and then, you get these guys. You know, it's like Jeff Snow is a big Disney feature guy now. Ronnie is a big guy at Pixar. I mean, he's just we would have some of the most fantastic storytellers and honestly you know ronnie was just you know he outshone most of the directors you know I mean, he was just that good uh but i had him working you know bruce had him working with me and he did that graveyard sequence and the thing that made ronnie so good is he is able to capture the uh emotion of a scene mm. right is this the graveyard sequence where bruce is begging his parents at the grave or is it the one where the phantasm is chasing the mafia guy and puts him in a hole? I'm, I'm, you may not yeah, remember, it's, but it's it's the one with the parents. I don't know if you know this, but that's hailed as one of the best Batman scenes of all time, not just animation, but of live well, action. Again, I'd have to give a lot of you know, I can't, I, 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 I can't claim credit for that. I'd have to give that credit to Ronnie. Okay. I mean, well, what's some of the, some of the most uh like the the proudest things that you've uh, contributed to Batman the Animated Series, something that you feel like you really put your your thumb on it as as you and made you know, it a part I, of. I it. always liked I always liked the Batgirl episodes. Yeah, always liked the Batgirl episodes, particularly the second one was full of action. Had a few issues with it. There's a few continuity issues I had with it. I didn't like. 
The first one was all set up, but the setup on that was very nice that we were able to kind of get in there. And, you know, I think that was, uh, was it Malone? You know, he would do these disguises and he would actually be doing some detective work, you know, and, and everything was being set up with, with, of course, Barbara Gordon and his Batgirl. And it was all set up, but it, it just all seemed to click together for me. It, it had a sense of mystery about it. It all paid off in the second episode, you know, in the second part, part two, which was a headache too. To deal with <laughs> well, the, yeah, because of all of the action, logistic, logistic reasons, because a lot of the action was very, you know, sometimes it get it, it, things have a tendency to get a little too convoluted on the screen, and we have to sit back and we have to try to simplify things somewhat. Right, uh, I gotcha. But I think as a, as a whole, those two came together fairly well. You know, as far as saying, well, I did this, and you know, you know, change the course of the series. I can't say that. No, absolutely not. It was no, more, but just yeah, yeah just something I, you're proud of that you that you contributed. I mean, there, to. there there are shows that I'm very proud of, and there are shows that I'm not. You know, well, uh, I really like uh, a lot of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That was a late find for me, but I really loved that show. It was it was it was old time Marvel before yeah. Marvel. That was like a love letter to. 1960s Marvel. Well, it just works. Like it should be used for a track record to have do villains successful in team scenarios because all of those villains and all of those team ups to fight the villains was exciting and fun, and it felt new even though it felt old. If if you know what I'm well, saying. It's, you know, in animation these days, I think there's a lot of, and maybe you've noticed it as an art, you know, as an artist that comic books seem to have a tendency to get very wordy mm. and these days and it's the same thing for animation you know you have to try to find a balance when i say that it's like a love letter to to the 1960s i mean i grew up on 60s comic books you know marvel comic books predominantly right uh, and lee jack kirby roy thomas neil adams those guys and there was just a pattern that they were able to do as a formula. Uh, it was all action, but it had the emotion and it had the pathos. It had all everything you wanted. And it was this glorious mix of madness that they were able to put out. And that's what we all became and, you know, fell in love with as, as children. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I was, I was in my early twenties when that came out and my brother, uh, we uh, this is when he lived in the UK and I lived in the States still. And he messaged me saying, you've really got to check out this this Avengers show. And not that I had anything against cartoons in my 20s, but obviously I'm thinking it's probably not directed at me anymore. And I remember watching a couple episodes and I'm like, not only is this not talking to children, but these are really good episodes, like great storytelling, great character development, as well said, like epic team ups and and telling the stories of the villains in a really great way. And yeah, I watched the shit out of it, man. I loved that show. It was great. I, I wish they would have kept it going, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I, and I thought the show that followed it was, I didn't understand why take such something that was so good and then just produce something that's so mediocre. Well, just... well at that time, Disney purchased Marvel. Right. Right. Which I think was, one of the worst decisions that Marvel ever made is allowing themselves to be bought by Disney and, uh, for a number of reasons that I won't get into. 
Earth's Mightiest Heroes was not a Disney product. Right. It was there before it was made by people. I mean, we all had Marvel input, but when Disney took over Mara, there was even more input that they came in. And I think one of those things is we've got live action movies. The animation should look like live action movies. That's genius. Let's do that. (laughs) And and, and they changed the style and, you know, the simplicity and they, you know, they lessened the cheapened the budget and made it more difficult to draw and to animate. That's why I don't like super realistic designs. I think they're a bad idea for cheap animation unless you don't plan to animate anything. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we were just I, we were just chatting with Randy Regal, as I said, and he was talking about how the Sub Zero movie, which he was writing writing the second Batman film was originally Bane was the main villain of that. But then Warner Brothers called them in and were like, okay, well, we got Batman and Robin coming out and Arnold Schwarzenegger has just been cast as Mr. Freeze. So Mr. Freeze is your main villain now. And they changed absolutely everything. <laughs> and it worked. You know, the film yeah, is still great. Do the, do the voice on Mr. Freeze. In. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because Randy, yeah, because he worked a lot with Boyd Kirkland, who... I consider the best director out of all of the Batman directors was Boyd. Right. Uh, he did that movie. But yeah, you know, these, you have to, you have to look at these things, these, these, these programs, and you have to be very conscious of, of how you make them, of the, the cost and of the design. And you have to put all these pieces together and figure out the best way for the best product. I, they had a lot of amazing talent on the follow-up to Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But I think the designs were poor choice because it made, it, it, if you look at it, the animation is very inconsistent. The, the, the quality of the art is all over the place. And that's because the designs are too realistic and there's just not enough quality artists to do that kind of level of, of design work and keep it consistent. And to keep it animated is even, harder to deal with going again going back to Bruce's original thing less is better when you mm-hmm. animate and yeah. Disney executives don't understand that so right. I've heard I've heard some story ideas for Batman that just never made it to air I don't know if you remember maybe you don't but was there were there any episodes that you ever were conceiving or starting to work on that just never made it to air none for me okay I don't recall. I know. I know. Because uh, if there are things that were going to happen, you know, toward, toward the end of my time at Warner Brothers, I was being courted by Disney, and I was I was even being courted by by Marvel to do to do the Spider Man series. Oh right, what Spider Man the animated series? Yes. Oh, Love that's it. so we. <laughs> I did. I didn't mention this up top. Um, we did that series as a podcast before we started Batman. So we yeah for years. Out. Yeah, we chatted with loads of writers and directors and and voice artists from that, and uh, it's a great show, man. Oh well, they had you know. I mean, you know, Bob is uh, Bob Richardson is a friend. I've known Bob ever since my early days at at, at Marvel Studios. When they right. Were doing, I think he was doing Muppet Babies at the time, and racking up his his role of Emmys. But I've known Bob for a long time. He, he did a fantastic job on he it. He did, yeah. Do you remember anything about the courtship of Marvel and potentially with you doing Spider-Man? 
Well, it was, let's say not Marvel per se, but it was uh, Graz Entertainment was looking at possibly doing it, I believe. And they were looking for a producer that they could pitch to Marvel on it. And I was being courted by Disney at the time. When you get a character like Spider-Man, everybody's going to jump in on it. Right. And that's not always a good thing because everybody wants to be the boss. And if you're the low guy on a totem pole and, but are still in charge of getting it done, it's going to make life very difficult for a few years. And then I'm, I'm offered this, this odd offbeat property by Disney about a group of gargoyles <laughs> around New York City. That just had more appeal to me, quite honestly, and, and I, less, less managers. Yeah, less say. cooks in the kitchen, right? Less cooks in the kitchen. I love Spider-Man, but I look at elements of the design that I think they, I, I think they didn't quite understand. And mm -hmm. I know there's that a lot of that stuff is because of the cooks in the kitchen. Right. Uh, a lot of the problems with it. But the stuff that came through still made it a fantastic show. It had great stories. You know, it had great direction. I, I look at things also as a design as part of the story. And I think they could probably could have done better with the designs. On yeah, it. I mean, it's there's there's some that are amazing and some that are less. And like Batman, the animated series had such a specific design that was so married to that universe that you could see that you could see those characters anywhere and go, that's from Batman, the animated series. But I've always felt with Spider-Man with the animated series, if you saw a cell from Spider-Man, the animated series, if you weren't in the know, you might be like, oh, well, that's from a Spider-Man comic because it didn't have a look that was specific to that show. I felt like it was a bit kind of no, that's, that's more generalized. Good, good way to put it. And I'm going to throw out another name. A lot of people, you know, that, that is, is just as important to, to, to Batman is, is Bruce Timm or Eric Radomsky, and that's Ted Blackman. Ted was the background designer on the series. Right. And as wonderful as Bruce's designs are, they just wouldn't have been the same without backup from Ted's backgrounds. Definitely. Because uh, it was so unique at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, got, that got the look to that show specifically. Yes, absolutely. Gotham and, and, and just... And that, you know. that helped seal what you're talking about, the identity. Mm. And I was doing... When I left to do Gargoyles, my big thing was they, they hired me because of my work on Batman. But they didn't want it to look like Batman. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want it to look like Batman. And when I'm over there, when we were doing Gargoyles, it was... Uh, it was supposed to be like 13 episodes a year, maybe. And then they jumped up to 52 because everybody liked it so much. They did 52, <laughs> 52 in a year, which is impossible. Again, Disney. So when I was doing that, I was going, you know, I, I changed all the characters because a lot of the character did work had already been done on that. But I altered the way they looked. And I gave it a more cinematic appeal to it, to, the, to a lot of the designs and to the simplicity of the animation. One thing I wanted to really keep because they sent me overseas to Japan and I'm, they're showing me who's going to be doing the studio. It was, in, it was Studio Fuga. 
Studio Fuga, in case you haven't known anything, they did all of Miyazaki's backgrounds. All right. All right. Okay. And so I'm going, let's keep the detail. <laughs> yeah, definitely. These big, sweep was, big sweeping vistas of New York, you know, and it's like I want to see a river of light amongst these big blocks of, you know, unlighted concrete. You know, you, you play up that kind of stuff to help give it a solid thing. And we kept the detail because we had the artists that could do match the backgrounds. I, I wish we could have kept that up through the series, but I had, I had no idea they were going to jump and want to do this ridiculous amount of stuff within that time. But I wanted it, it set it apart from Batman. It was yeah, dark, scary. The designs, you could argue, or the simplicity were very similar, but the backgrounds and the identity of it was very much different than what we did, what was done in Batman. And, and it complemented uh, a lot of the stuff that we were doing, but in yeah, a way... I mean the show itself, Gargoyles. I watched um, quite a few episodes. I actually remember I had a friend of mine that that loved it, so we would always watch it at his house. And from what I remember, the the word cinematic he used is a is a really good word for that because I remember it being such a good looking show that when I was a kid and I found out the premise, I'm like, so it's about stone gargoyles that come to life. It didn't exactly like ring my bell. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, OK, I'm 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 interested because it looks so pretty. You know, it looks so cinematic, it looks dark, it looks cool. It has a vibe to it that I really liked. And I ended up watching quite a few episodes because of how it looked. Well, kids, kids are more attracted to to the visuals than they are to the story. I mean, that's just that's just natural. The story is a great addition because sometimes things hang on, but. As a kid, when I watched stuff, it was always about the visuals as well. And then if it had a great story, that story would stay with you. And that's kind of what we, we were doing. When I was doing the Gargoyle thing, it was all about how would I do a Marvel show? And I did it on Gargoyles. Interesting. And is that how you got the gig for Earth's Mightiest Heroes? Was that well, true? Not, you know, it's... Uh, Greg Wiseman, who is the executive in charge, liked me for some reason. Okay. You know, at the time, I, I couldn't figure out why they wanted me. <laughs> There's another superhero that we haven't talked about that you've worked on, um, and one that's quite near and dear to Will's heart as well because he's a big Todd McFarlane fan. Um, can you share any memories you have of working on Todd McFarlane's Spawn? Todd's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he's He's one of the most unique and unusual individuals I have ever met in my life. I mean, he is... He's, you know, he's focused, but he's not, but he is. It's, it's, right. strange. you know, because I came in on the third season. Eric Radomsky, who was also did Batman, was, was, they brought Eric in to, uh, I, I don't like to use this term fix things, but that's kind of what he had to do because it was being done by a studio and there's a lot of issues with it. Right. So they brought Eric in kind of fix it he carried it through the first and second season and then he left and then uh the president of the company had left on maternity leave and they needed somebody to come in and take it over and that was me okay well i i, I had the privilege of working with todd myself i, I did a, a spawn book with him 
a couple you know of exactly what i'm trying to say <laughs> i know exactly what you, i had a phone call with him and it was yeah it was it was like um it's he's chaotic but there is structure there that's for sure it's structured chaos i'd say there's there, there's a lot of that with him and you know because i worked with him uh on that i worked with him you know we, we were doing an animated movie uh after the series it never got never got made. Went through all the production process and we did the storyboards and we did the designs, uh, but it never went into animation. Unfortunately, it was a it was a, it was a beautiful story. I mean, Spawn wasn't in it much. But it was more of a Sam and Twitch. Right. And yeah. I, I know a big part of the movie that he wants to do, the new Spawn movie, was more focused on Sam and Twitch and making Spawn more of like the the shark from Jaws and not very much a prominent figure in it. So yes, yes, that's exactly what it was. That's interesting that that's still stemming from the feature that you guys were going to do. Well, I, there was more Spawn in it than that, and it was more of the Spawn from, you remember, from the HBO series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where I think the ideas for that, he started seeing the possibilities and he wanted to play with that. So I mean, it had, had to do with Russian mobsters and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, a psychic. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful story. Broke our hearts that we couldn't uh, uh, get it made. You know, we, I think we even had Mark Hamill was, was, was uh, we had cast, we recorded Mark for Twitch. Wow. Really? Not violated then. No, I wanted Mark for Mark. I, I didn't want him to do, you know, his 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 voices. I wanted Mark. I wanted his voice because, as you know, Twitch is a very he's the sensible one. Mm. He's the one that's well thought out. And I and you talk to Mark and you just talking to him, he kind of feels that way. Right. That's, that's what I want to picture. What was it? So I suppose you speaking of Mark Hamill, and obviously you're designing these storyboards around their performances, right? Because that's part of the whole process. What was it like designing the Joker sequences and the episodes you worked on? Well, you know, at the time when I was doing that, you know, Mark, uh, you know, my first stuff was not Mark Hamill. It was uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry, yes. Yeah. Uh, their Tim Curry recordings. You know, we were kind of working with that. I think it was Be a Clown was my first Joker episode. It was, yeah, you're right, yeah. So we had, God, I wish I had the recording to that. What, of the Tim Curry recording? Yeah, I still have a recording. I can't even remember if they ever gave us the actual recording on it at that point. Well, it it only came out recently, actually. Someone did release some of Tim Curry's dialogue as the Joker from Batman the Animated Series, and it's quite shockingly different than what you get mm. from Mark Hamill. Hamill is a ham. Uh, his very vision of Joker, Joker is a ham in, in many respects. Tim Curry is still frightening. I mean, it's, it was very good, but it was different. Maybe, mm. maybe it was just too dark. If you ever find oh. those recordings and, and, and fancy sharing them, Frank, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I, I can't. I, I'm trying to remember if we even had that stuff because I know I, I went to the re- initial recording. I don't recall those recordings. I wish I did. That would be. I could probably get a pretty penny for those these days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, at those early recordings, there were questions. You sure. know, all the Bruce and Eric had. Well, speaking yeah. of stuff that um, you have, what memorabilia do you have for the show? Do you have anything from working on the show that you still have today? 
do I have? What do I have? Hold on. This is our favorite segment of the show where all of our yep. guests show us their fun toys that they have. I love it. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> ah, you see this? I think you have to bring it closer because it's... Bl- oh, my God. So oh, I see- wow. I can make it out, though. That's that's. Is that this animation cells of the oh, yes, concept the, the, art of the characters? These were the original designs. Each director was made a specific set of these. Wow. So all this is only the director stuff. These are all hand painted. Wow. And I assume you don't. You no longer want that, and you're looking to get rid of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's no big deal. Uh, that's amazing. So I have that. I have I have some storyboards, some scripts with notes and and things like that. You know, I have you know the uh, the model sheets, all of that stuff. So cool. Uh, you know, I I do collect toys. Unfortunately, <laughs> do you collect Batman the Animated Series toys? Have you seen all the <laughs> new ones recently? I always, I would always collect toys from shows that I worked on. Cool, oh, fun. So I have a lot of the original Batman toys. Oh, that's awesome. It came out for the animated series. Oh, that's uh, really cool. I wish they'd make a one six scale of the uh Batmobile from the animated series. Mm. I have the one from the movie. But uh I I'm a collector of G.I. Joe. I collected a lot of G.I. Joe stuff in one six scale. So my garage is too full, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a uh, treasure chest in there. I, I had to collect. I should have collected the smaller ones. I got gifted. I I I have a collector's mentality, but I'm also a minimalist, so I'm always battling between the two. And I I got gifted recently a few uh, twelve inch hot toys of things that I love, like um, uh, Ash from Evil Dead and and a Punisher, and and it started a whole new obsession where I'm looking on the internet at all these hot toys and and like <laughs> you know remakes of movies and stuff, and I, I've got to fight against it because I know it could be extremely problematic. Those things are terribly addictive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you get a lot of the, you know, the old G.I. Joe window box stuff. Uh, they're just, they're just, they're just fun. Yeah, uh, cool. The blister packs today, the, you know, the presentation leaves much to be desired in a lot of the current toys. But anyway, too much, much information there. <laughs> well, um, well, we he's an animation, to... and he's a toy collector. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, you're you're, free, you're talking to the right people here. It's yeah. not like we're judging you. We're like, this is really cool. Yeah. We want to see more. So yeah. don't I, worry. About I, it. I, I write and draw comics, and I have action figures. It's no big deal. <laughs> um, so Frank, we always ask our guests uh, what they're working on now. What you can share. What you're working on now. Even if there's anything you want to direct people to. It's nothing I can really show anyone. That's cool, man. For various reasons, I can't. You know, uh, it could be cool. We'll see. I'm, I've been doing a lot of stuff with uh, NFTs recently. Nice. Uh, a lot of original art. I'm trying to break out and, and look at different things. Uh, working more on original art as opposed to doing stuff I've worked on. It's weird because, you know, I, I, I got a degree in, in fine art and illustration. That's helped me a lot in my career. I you would know, say so, yeah. Having that art history and understanding colors and values and, you know, and, and top on all of that, you get all of your editing experience 
that you do for putting these shows together and such. But I started out as an, wanting to be an illustrator. And I wound up in doing comic books. Well, not comic books, but I always wanted to do comic books. But wisely, I, I went into animation instead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I can feel confirm. I can absolutely confirm. Very feel, feel your I, I'm a professional illustrator and I hate it. So I understand <laughs> what you're saying. You know, we have benefits, though, in animation. In case you need a career change. <laughs> that sounds great. I have zero benefits. <laughs> uh, I'm always, you know, it, it's weird. I've done a lot. I love the fact that you guys called me for Batman. You know, when I think of all the things I've done, uh, and I love my time on Batman, I, you know, there, I, there's just a really good crowd of people there. It was always very challenging to work with them because, you know, your storyboard and your designers were always testing you to see how good you really were. And, you know, and you, you always had to up your game. And then you see the stuff that Bruce would produce and it just, piss you off because <laughs> I said I enjoyed all of that it was a blast but it's one of the least things I've done in my career well I mean the reason I reached out to you was because obviously you know I now know all of the episodes you worked on but as a kid watching this show for some reason there are a few names in this show that even as a kid just I remember seeing on screen and your name was one of them because obviously they would do the title card of the show, you know, whatever it was, The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, directed by Frank Parr. And I would just, I remember seeing your name. So that's just, I, it may be one of the things you worked on the least. But to me, I knew you from Batman. And then it was only until I started talking to you did I discover all of the other cool things that you've done. But Batman is where I knew you from, right? By the way, those those cards... We're all done by Eric Radomski. Right. They're all pre-digital. Oh, wow. cool. I so, love that. Like I said, very talented people. But but yeah, you know, I mean, Batman is Batman. I mean, it's uh uh there's nothing nothing quite like Batman. You know, so there's there's that meme that uh if you could be anybody, be Batman. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sort of thing, and yeah. that's kind of because Batman can do anything, really. Even uh, in even in illustration, I re, I I spent last year drawing Batman comics, and now I'm not, and I'm pretty upset by it. <laughs> yeah, you will always be the director of the Batman episodes, first and foremost for me. And um, yeah, I just want to say, you know, personally, thank you so much because your work on this show has you know made us all very happy as kids and continues to make us happy to this day well well thank you i appreciate that so, absolutely well. and thank you for coming on we really appreciate that uh maybe when we get to some of your uh, episodes that you're most fond of we can have you back on the show to chat specifically about that episode sure, I could do that. i'd have to i'd have to actually review that stuff because <laughs> i'd have to try to jar some of these memories loose <laughs> now we do have a fee though you have to give us one animation cell per episode for a free <laughs> charge so <laughs> yeah if, if those were only available uh, <laughs> well thank you again frank thanks for coming on we appreciate it
No, well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a fun morning. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? All right. We hope you all enjoyed that chat with Frank. It was really great to have him on and get an insight into how it worked on the show as a director. Um, I really like, Bud, some of the things we talked about just off the top of my head, like looking at like film noir films and the anime as inspiration when storyboarding. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to find that out and discover that's what they did for the show when they were kind of designing it. And just not about the characters as well, but the backgrounds were just as important. And I love how he said that and pointed that out. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, that Gotham th that we see when we watch the show is is just such a, a unique Gotham that wouldn't exist without those backgrounds. So I love that. It's interesting how they would give episodes to animation studios that they thought would work better. So or like perform better. So if it was a better story, they're like, let's give it to the better animation studio. And if it was a story like Underdwellers, it's like, let's give it to, you know, Acom and let's let's have Frank direct it. And he's like, I'd, ah, fuck. I'd be so heartbroken if it was like one of my stories that, that went to the shitty studio. I'd be like, that means my story is the <laughs> shitty story. <laughs> Well, I mean, we like Underdwellers. We're like only we do. I think we're the only few that that actually like it. Yes, 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 yes. We la 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 love Underdwellers. <laughs> um, it's crazy how that you asked this question as well. How they had to change the aspect ratio of Mask of the Phantasm at the last minute when it was scheduled for a theatrical release. Like, can you imagine having to do that? And I read up on this more. Apparently, Bruce Tim like took a piece of paper that was like the right aspect ratio over the storyboards that were already for TV and were literally was like putting it over each individual board being like, what am I going to lose in this shot? Yeah. How can I cut this? That's crazy. Yeah. That must've been stressful, especially because it didn't perform well when it came out. The only, you know, the reason we love it so much is because it found its place on home video and then fans started to watch it and share it and talk about it. And that's why it built up such a reputation it has now. But it was only out for like, I don't know, like 30 days and like a thousand theaters across America. Like that was it. I have great so. memories of us as kids in England um, with Mask of the Phantasms on television. Really? And uh, I'm playing with a Joker toy and a Phantasm toy on the floor with his big squirty backpack thing. Um, oh shit! I don't. I don't have this. Memory. And this was on the middle floor of the house that we lived at. It right. Was on, it was on that television. I was like lying on my stomach playing with those toys, and that's a brief little memory that I have of that. Wow, that's cool. I mean, the earliest memory I have of Mask of the Phantasm is when we were living in America. That's when I remember like watching it. I'm sure I watched it before that, but that's the the earliest memory I have. Yeah, but you, it. you. This has come from the the kid that watched batman forever every single day for like a year so <laughs> you you can remember watching stuff because you watched it so many fucking yeah, times true you must be furious that my first words were batman when you're the guy that watched batman every single fucking day like that is a slap in the face i think <laughs> well every time you remind me i do get a little more bitter yes oh, i love it my first word <laughs> being batman is like the coolest shit you could say ever <laughs> and what was your first word no cap <laughs> <laughs> It was shower. Shower. Because I was afraid of showers. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, wasn't even, even it like, wasn't even like cool. oh. Yeah, it was that, ah, shower! <laughs> um, 
great. Um, yeah, I thought uh, chat with Frank was great. Like how he almost worked on Spider-Man, but chose gargoyles instead because there was too many cooks in the kitchen on Spidey. And especially because that cartoon series is near and dear to our hearts, having done a whole other podcast on it. Um, and then finally, how he and Tom McFarlane had like an animated film ready to go that mm. had been made and focused on Sam and Twitch and even had Mark Hamill cast and recorded as Twitch. Like, that's crazy. And then how that's still the premise for McFarlane's Spawn movie today, you know. That was the coolest, like, the, the fact that he described the plot is the same plot that I've heard that McFarlane's pitched to Blumhouse is just great. Yeah, yeah. He obviously, he believes in it, and it's the story he really wants to tell, which is awesome. So, yeah, very interesting, some great insight, and thank you to Frank for coming on the show and sharing those stories with us. All right, bud, we're going to go into Ace the Bat Sound. <laughs> Okay, so for all of our listeners, usually when we play this game, it's where I play a musical clip for my brother, and he has to guess who the character is that musical clip was made for. However, as we've gone on, it's gotten really hard for you, bud, hasn't it? Like, you've been like, I don't know, the last one really... I would say more disinterest than than toughness, (laughs) if I have to be honest. Yeah, I guess so. And the music is amazing, but after a while, I think for the fans that are listening they're more interested in the music than I think just putting that all on your shoulders. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of responsibility just for you. And there's probably a lot of listeners being like, Oh, I know it. And then, you know, you're not guessing. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but we decided to switch it up and we want to include you, the listener listening right now in this game. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to play a musical clip right now. And once that musical clip is up, it's going to be a lot shorter than usual as well, because I want to make this a little tougher. And then on the next episode, I'm going to play a little voice clip like I usually do as a clue before revealing the answer. And then I'm going to play another musical clip. And that's how the game is going to work. So we want to include you guys. Play along at home. This is how it's going to work. So here comes that musical clip right now. Any idea, bud? Nope. (laughs) That's why we're playing with the (laughs) listeners. All right, here comes our next segment. You've got mail. Oh, by the way, this came for you an hour ago by messenger. You've got mail. Thank you, Alfred. Okay, this is where we read out all of the mail, all of the things you guys send in, all of our listeners that are out there. We really appreciate when you guys write in, whether it be on social media or email. It's great to hear some love from the people that are listening to our podcast. So first of all, we've got Alex on Spotify, and it's not me. (laughs) It's just you. (laughs) (laughs) I love this podcast. Hey, everybody, I just wanted to say this is the best podcast I've ever heard. Alex is amazing and Will sucks. Will sounds like he weighs 300 pounds. (laughs) Okay, so Alex and Spotify said, you guys are awesome and so funny. Please don't stop doing this. It would be cool if you guys reviewed the new Batman Adventures too. Thanks for the laughs. I think when he says the new Batman Adventures, he's either talking about when they uh, like reanimated, not reanimated, but they like revamped the Batman the Animated Series. I thought we that, already covered this on a male thing. We did, we said yeah. We said we were going to 
But he might mean the comic books that are out right now. Oh, I see. Because they're called the new Batman Adventures. Um, So because I think the revamp is called um, the new adventures of Batman, where the comic book is called the new Batman Adventures. It's just basically moving those words around. Um, Maybe, you know, there'll be an issue or something like down the road that will we'll have a look at but right now we want to focus mainly on the show of course and i'm reading the new batman adventures separately and i'm enjoying the hell out of it so you know we we always do a segment at the end where it's like you know what's filling our holes is now the name of it um so if i'm reading issues of that that i'm really enjoying i'll mention it like i have in the past on this podcast i've been like hey there's this great storyline that i'm reading right now and it's written by alan Burnett and paul dini so i think that's where that will lie but um thanks for writing in alex and appreciate the question next one the new super selena 123 on youtube has said uh on our two-face part one review she says okay but now i actually want a she's all that remake but with two-face <laughs> 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 i want to great. see that too yeah it does sound good then we got ben harris 1228 on youtube really enjoy your guys's reviews thanks ben we really enjoy doing them so thanks for writing <laughs> in appreciate that a lot uh unlikely ally 5325 on youtube says i need more big bad schoolyard harv in my life oh yeah i'm coming for those nipples uh, <laughs> give me your forearm Okay, then we've got Connor Gibson, 5930 on YouTube. He says, pound tar is like running your feet uh, or pounding your feet on the tar on the road as you run away, pretty much implying that you'll get hurt or die if you stay. Yeah. So I think I think we kind of vaguely knew that anyway, but obviously we're making a joke out of it. But, yeah. Um, it's not a common phrase, and that's what I think. That's why we highlighted that, just being yeah. like, it's a weird thing to say. The, then we've got, finally, an email from listener Anton Holtzman, who says, Hello, I've got a few questions. And just so you guys know, if you are writing in, obviously, if you just want to give us uh, a quick, hey, love the podcast, thanks so much for the content, of course, please do that. But questions are great, because then that gives us a chance to obviously respond to what you're writing in and talk about it. So thank you, Anton, for writing in questions. So Anton has said, What do you think of the Justice League and the Justice League animate- unlimited animated shows? I uh, iconic intro, right? The slow what, that... walk towards the camera and the three D. Yeah, what is it? The bow, 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 na, 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 bow, 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 bow. Do you remember that? That's the theme tune. Is it? Yeah. That's Superman, right? Yeah, and then the Justice League Unlimited theme was different, but. I remember the slow walk, the slow motion mm. for sure. Um, I loved you... the like. There was um, is it Green Lantern? He like punches through a wall or something, and his ring glows up. Uh, it's a very good intro. Like it it's is, really yeah. cool, and it's all in CG. Yeah, CG, but Bruce Tim style. It's really fun looking. Yeah. Did you ever watch it? Yeah, of course I did. Did you? Because this this show came out around the time I was I was stopping to watch. I was I started not watching cartoons, right? Like it was like that age where I was like, I need to move on and I'm more interested in like live action movies. Does anybody like, make that conscious decision or I think it just happens naturally, right? Maybe it just happens naturally. But it came out around like 2002, 2003, Justice League. And I was like 15, 16. So it definitely, it came out a bit too late for me. I have gone back over the years and I have watched quite a few episodes, but I definitely have not watched both of them 
you know, all the way through, like I have with Batman numerous times or with even Superman. I think I'd like to watch them, especially now, like we're delving into the DCAU more and reviewing the show. But yeah, I guess what do I think of them? I think it's cool that they did it. I think it's awesome that they they like introduced so many new DC characters into this world, you know, the Bruce Timm verse. But um, yeah, I, I, the only the only episode I really remember is when Joker planted bombs all over Las Vegas and he like sent the Justice League on like a rat race to find them all. And Batman does this like really cool trick with Joker at the end. That's the only episode I really remember. There's, there's an iconic episode with like a little girl on a swing set and she's like psychic or something like that, right? Yes, that is the uh, technically that's Justice League, but it's also the Batman Beyond finale because you see Terry oh, okay. McGinnis as like a 45-year-old man. Um, and that involves, uh, what's-her-face? Uh, the one that runs the Suicide Squad. Um, uh, uh, oh, her, name, her name's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue as well. Uh, is there a W in there? Oh yes, there is. I I know Viola Davis plays her, but I don't fucking know. We know the name. It's just escaped. Oh, it's so close. I can taste it on my tongue. Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller. There was a W in there. There was a W. Well done. Yeah, and so she's the one that tells a story like of how Terry McGinnis is basically like a DNA ripoff of Bruce Wayne and all this stuff. Waller. Yeah, I hardly know him. um so anton has also said what's your favorite season of batman the animated series uh, i don't think i could ever do that because season one is like 65 episodes long and then season two is only like eight and season three is only like i don't know 15 or something so i'd just say season one because it's got most of the episodes in it of the show that i know because they made so many they made a massive batch over the course of like a year and a half and then Obviously, the show took off and they kept on producing them after that. Uh, and then the final question, he said, what do you think of Batman Beyond? It's great. I I love it. Yeah, I think it's a great show. Great concept. Another and... good, great intro, but more for the song. Yeah, the song's awesome. Um, I just recently rewatched Batman Beyond. I did watch it a few times as a kid. I bought um, it for you for your birthday. You did. And I really enjoyed it. I watched the whole thing all the way through. Um, and it's a great show. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of that show. So he finishes off his question or his email with, love the content so far. Thanks for uploading weekly. It's been a lot of fun to rewatch the show with you guys. Oh, thanks, Anton. Really appreciate that. So if you guys want to contact us or ask us any questions or write in a Caped Caper scenario, you can do that by emailing batmantaspod at gmail.com or reach us on at batmantaspod on socials. And please remember to leave us a review of whatever you're listening to us on right now. All right, it's our final category of the day, which what's filling your holes? Buddy, what is going in mm-hmm. your holes and filling them? Um... <laughs> I recently rewatched the movie Desperado and I enjoyed it very much. It was a trip down memory lane. Though. I was really enjoying your running commentary messages to me yeah. last night. Um, Everyone's just so hot in that movie. I, they, I, Antonio Banderas and Sam Hayek. Like I said, they're both. I don't even stunning wanna, people. I don't even want to join in. I just want to watch. Like that's how hot <laughs> they are. I'm not worthy. I just want to watch. It's been a while since I've seen like a soft core porn scene in a movie, and it was yes. a bit jarring because I was. It like, was like Cinemax. Yeah, I was like watching it with my wife, and like at first they were making out. I was like, oh yeah, look, classic old school 
like stuff. And then it was just like Salma Hayek's titties spread wide. I was like, it both me and my wife at the same time went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you see like Antonio's butt, you see her butt, you see. Yeah, I was like, I want to see Antonio hang dong. <laughs> yeah. It's only fair. I want to see his banderas. There's a very seductive shot of the, uh, was it, spools of his. Uh, boots like running down her butt and then her legs. Oh her yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that scene. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I rewatched it like maybe a year ago, a little less. Um, and I was watching it on my own. And my girlfriend came in right during the sex scene, and she like stopped and she was enjoying it. And then she's like, she looks at me with joy in her face, like, "What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, it's." And I started explaining the plot, and she's like, "Ah, that sounds bad, but this scene is great." So yeah, she's not into all of the action stuff, but she loved that. Uh, what else are you? What else is filling your holes then? Um, Love and Succession, best show on TV. Me too. Now yeah, I can officially but... say, ah, which is part of Succession, and he's on season two, and he's enjoying the show. Yes, he is. I am. I'm really enjoying it. I finally took the leap, um, and I watched all of season one in like the course of a day. The little more, and then who does Wig think at this current moment should succeed? Logan Paul. I mean, I'm all about Shiv, man. I am total Shiv all the way. So I'm only on season two, and I know that I've got so much to go, which is great because I don't have to wait a year like everyone else had to in between seasons. And it's really ramping up now. Like watching the episode, uh, watching episode one of season two, I was like, oh shit, this is like I liked season one, mm -hmm. but there's something about the rat race now. It's happening where the option for one of the the children to actually become CEO is is starting to happen because before it was like we've got to dethrone Logan now Logan's actually thinking about stepping down yep. and granted that could change sure but I'm really enjoying this like rat race where all of the kids are basically like I want to be CEO but I'm too afraid to say it out loud because it's a you know it's such a tactical game for all of them it's fucking crazy all of their relationships with their father are so unique and it's yeah. just it's so brilliant yeah and like the the characters are just so fascinating and it it's just yeah it's the best of me and it's a really great bonding thing for me and my wife because it is definitely my wife's favorite show of all time she loves it so much so much so that she like hangs out on fucking succession reddit all week and like is telling me really telling me theories about yeah though she did annoy me though because there was one theory I won't spoil it for you, but she was like, people on Reddit think this is going on. I was like, oh, really? And then it did happen and it kind of spoiled it a oh, bit. Oh, no. That's I was... like watching a like theory video on YouTube, right? And the theory becomes yeah. true and you're like, oh, that's ruined it. So I said to her, like, can we not? And then she was like, well, I wasn't doing anything. I didn't spoil anything. And I was like, it's not your fault. I just don't, don't want to know. <laughs> just don't go on Reddit. Yeah, just you can go on Reddit. Just don't tell me about it. It's fine. Love it. Great show. I can't wait for you to get caught up and find out all the rest of what's going on and all the little stuff. And then besides that, Barry, it's like HBO is smacking it right now. Yeah. I need to catch up on Barry. I will after I watch succession. Uh, Cause I don't want to start Barry whilst I'm watching succession and have to go back and forth. Cause I'm now like on the succession train. I'm like, I want to keep on going yeah. until I finish and then I'll go to another show. Yeah. Um, what else is filling my holes is, uh, I rewatched Return of the Jedi for the 40th anniversary. Apparently, everyone on planet Earth is fucking doing that. Jesus Christ. I don't know how well the release of that did, but my social media has been flooded with everybody that I've ever known who liked something vaguely nerdy going to see Return of the Jedi. And you know why? Because they're all in their mid-30s or late the mid-40s now, and they have children 
So they're taking their kids to see Return of the Jedi in movie theaters. It's awesome. I think that's great. I mean, I I didn't go to the. I looked for it in theaters because I was like, I'd like to watch this on the big screen, but nowhere near me was doing it. So uh, you know, I've I've got a nice setup at home, and I just kind of kicked back and I had some snacks and I watched Return of the Jedi. Did and you have didn't your have... silly light TV thing on where it, like I did the light. Yes, I did, and watched the lightsabers kind of like go across the wall as the green and the red were clashing, which was a lot of fun for me. And I <laughs> didn't have my phone on, and I just. I love that movie. I've always loved it. It was at one point my favorite Star Wars movie and is probably my second favorite Star Wars movie. It's just it's a great film. I mean, it does dip in the middle, which is why I think that it's not number one. But I love the intro and I love the finale. I think it's great. So, yeah, Return of the Jedi and Luke it was you know one of my childhood heroes and he's at full fucking power in that movie and he's just great so love i'm shit. a man now Tonto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then finally i watched this movie ghosted on apple oh you TV. didn't watch that apple is Dude, forcing me to watch that movie it, it's, it's everywhere it and it's terrible we turned it, it off it looked garbage it just it's so okay here's what I, happens here, yeah listen, hang on listen. before you go into it I don't know what's going on right now, but like they are producing so many spy movies with American stars trying to make a new like this is our James Bond, and they're all failing fucking miserably because they're just terrible. And this the, this movie was so predictable, so so cliche. And the thing that made us turn it off was at one point, uh, what's his face, Captain America, Chris Evans. At one point, Chris Evans is kidnapped in london right there's a bag that's put over his head and then when they pull the bag off he's like in this interrogation room right so he manages like anna de Armas comes in and helps him escape and when they go outside they're in pakistan and both me and my wife were like what because he was just in london and there was no like hey we've knocked him out and all they need to do is be like put him on the next train to pakistan or like even when he came out of the doors he well, he wasn't like, where the fuck am I? Because the last time I looked, I was in London. Mm-hmm. He was just like, oh, okay, I'm in the desert now. Let's run away. And I was like, not even a line like, where am I? And she could be like, Pakistan. And he'd be like, how did I get here? Like, something could have been there. And well, both... that's, that's a reshoot issue, you know? But for us, we were just like, you know what? Fuck this movie. They were too lazy to even be like, hey, from London to Pakistan, that sounds... a quick line. That sounds like someone watched John Wick 3 and was like, we need a scene where our main characters are just walking through the desert i guess so but yeah they, it, then there's this whole action sequence that was just boring so yeah we turned it off it was terrible it's the same uh, way that I, I i obviously avoided it i'm not a spy thriller guy anyway never been my shtick don't know why just doesn't do anything for me the only uh thing i'll say is i like a few james bond movies and that's that if i had to choose to watch a spy thing but um they recently tried to do like the russo brothers tried to do that on um netflix and you thought hey that should be pretty fucking good right because they made a pretty good spy thriller it's called captain america winter soldier um and that movie that they made was not good so yeah i watched that it wasn't very good either that was with um what's his face uh ryan ryan gosling, gosling yeah I, look any popcorn movie right now is it's a bit shit in my opinion uh i i enjoy the john wick movies because they know what they are right and like Keanu Reeves, he's charming as hell. The action is great, like stabbing pencils into eyeballs. I want to see that, but I, I, I'm not like. There's just no soul in any big budget stuff right now. It's just completely cookie cutter to get butts and see. Like it's just a business, right? That's all it is. Like, mm. I, and I'm seeing 
I'm seeing the business on display. I'm not seeing the art. And, and I need the art back. I need some art in my life. Oh, yeah. So you can sit back and critique it and go, oh, that that underlying theme really made this character what he is now. That's what TV's great. Like, you get Succession and Barry. That's the content I'm looking for, where it does appeal to the masses, but it's smart and it doesn't treat you like you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's art. Everyone's has it's objective. It's completely objective. Yeah, it is. Or sub- absolutely or subjective and, or whatever. You know, it makes me think like you just you brought up Desperado. Now there's a movie we loved as kids, but it still holds up now. And that you can't say that about every single movie that we loved as kids. And you talk about Antonio and Salma Hayek's chemistry on screen, and it's like that is so palpable. And watching this ghosted movie with Chris Evans and Anna Diarmas. They unfortunately they just didn't have any chemistry at all. It was really like forced and awkward, and I felt like these two hate each other. And there's even a scene where they first meet and they get into like an argument, and then someone goes to Chris Evans, you know she was floating with you, right? And he's like, Really? And then he goes up to her car and he's like, So wanna go on a date sometime? And I'm like, This is a bad message, because in real life, yeah. if you get in an argument and someone's like, She was floating with you, <laughs> and you go and ask her out and she says yes. That's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, that's a bad message. Yeah, that is a terrible message. It's really fucked up. Was that written by an incel or something like that? Yeah, exactly. This happened to me, but she said no. (laughs) And she's going to say yes. She was flirting with me? I mean, well, I can't say anything. That's how I was in real life before I met people. (laughs) Yeah, but it wasn't like you got in an argument and someone's like, she was flirting with you, bro. Yeah, I would never be. I'm not. There is a thing in movies where, like, people shout at each other and then they suddenly start making out. And I've, I've, I've never never, that. never understood that. I've always been yeah. like, if someone's like, if someone started doing that to me, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm yeah. really mad at you right now. <laughs> I think that's in like 22 Jump Street Is with it? that really hilarious. Uh, I can't remember her name. She's a comedian. And they're like, she's like arguing with Jonah Hill. And then she's like, is this and she like goes to kiss he's like what are you doing oh yeah I think I <laughs> she's like what that. did i misread it yeah um so that's that's all that's been filling my holes speaking of sexual escapades uh is your is your holes all filled up is that yeah, everything? I, i've been trying to watch other old movies i tried to because i tried to watch the transporter and it was fucking terrible it was so yeah. de- dated and the and like the fact that he was out loud, like explaining his rules, like to people, I was like, no, like I'd be like, oh, you are a prick. Like no one cares about your <laughs> rules. Like I, this is clearly just for the audience, and yeah, no good. And I've, I've just been trying to watch some old content. Recently. He's like a waiter at like a trendy restaurant. He's like, we've got many rules here. First of all, you can't go to the toilets unless you buy something. Second, <laughs> you can only order but off this. Even menu. you've already given an explanation that you said at the restaurant we have many rules here. Right. The difference is he goes. Rule number like if okay you're like um uh yeah can I get a side salad with that and he'll go rule number three never or serve a side salad <laughs> or, or like rule number three no salads available at, at the restaurant and you're like all right and also you know my wife pointed out she's like is he trying to do an American accent and he is in that movie is he which I've never noticed before oh shit that's really bad no I've never noticed that either um and also that being rule number three you're like. When, when? Why is that rule, rule number, number three? Rule number twenty-seven. Never <laughs> ask about the rules. <laughs> You're like that should be rule number one. <laughs> rule number fifty-two. I don't make the rules. Rule number seven. All steaks are served medium well done. <laughs> That's different types of. <laughs> It's medium well done. And why is that rule number seven? <laughs> <laughs> rule number eight. 
Oh, we only serve steak tartar. <laughs> you don't cook it now? <laughs> rule number nine, we're closed. <laughs> Why isn't that rule number one? <laughs> rule number 128. I grew up None in... of these rules make sense. Rule number 84, I grew up in Arkansas. <laughs> Yeehaw, partner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I love, I'm now this. I want there to be a whole bit of just Jason Statham coming in with rules. It's so <laughs> fucking annoying. And like, yeah. like he he's taking a job from somebody, and they're like, uh, "I'll pay you when the job's done." And he's just like, "Oh, rule number sixty-eight, but be half up front." It's like, "Oh God, fuck your rules!" <laughs> just say, "Can I get? I, I, just... I only take half up front, mate." Like that's all you need to say. Like the fact that you always go like rules are rules. It's just like you need a smack in the face. <laughs> Rule number one, whack. Yeah, rule number one, wallop. <laughs> I love that maybe he's just got some sort of like disability where like it's like a tick, you know what I mean? Like he can't say a sentence without saying rule number yeah, one like, ever first. Are, no, you don't understand. There are no rules. I just have a tick that when I, I list rules before I speak. Rule number 27, he's not telling the truth. There are rules. Ah, my tick is taking over. <laughs> Jason Statham in The Tick Porter. <laughs> He's having sex. He's like, rule number one, I'm gonna come. Rule number one, think about your nan so you can last longer. <laughs> That's rule number one. It applies to many facets of life. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see that version of the transporter. Better than the original. <laughs> well, I think that's the pod, bud. Is there anything you want to add before we jet off? No, just uh, treat each other well and don't be a dick. Rule number one, treat each other well. (laughs) Rule number seven, stop being a cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, why is this making me laugh so much? Well, that's all the time we got for this week. Join us next time while we continue talking all things Batman, the animated series. Until then, I've been... Rule number one. And I've been rule number two. (laughs) And remember that we are vengeance. We are the night. We are a podcast. We are transporters. Toodles. Toodle toodle pip. (laughs) I'm from Arkansas. I think I I think I hit middle age today. Oh, today. Okay. I I think I've officially hit middle age because I I was at the gym and in between sets and stuff I was just scrolling through my phone and saw that a new Marks and Spencers had opened up just down the road from where I was and I genuinely was like I'm excited. <laughs> like I'm going to go. <laughs> and I went there First of all, it's right next to a Smith's toy shop and a Starbucks. And I, it was almost like, wow, this is made for me. <laughs> like, That's a good combo right there. I'm, I'm going to slay this fucking strip right now. Yeah, so, I, li- I, I like M&S. I mean, a lot of my jackets are from M&S. Uh, my pants, all my pants are exclusively from M&S. I have like these microfiber <laughs> pants. Not a sponsor. Amazing. <laughs> 
But actually, you know, my wife just asked me what I want for my birthday, and I'm going to ask her for some M&S pants, because I too am middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> He's the younger brother. Uh, yeah, I just, I, like, it's this giant M&S, right? And it's brand spanking new. And the moment I grabbed even just the shopping cart, I was like, oh, this is what new shopping carts feel like. Like nothing was like rickety or like squeaky or dodgy wheel. It was like they glided. It was just such a smooth push. And I was just kind of gliding all around M&S being like, oh, I'll grab this and I'll grab this. And I got all of the fucking branded snacks and stuff that I was like, oh, yeah, give me some of that. I don't know. I don't really. There's there's certain things I like food wise from M&S, but. It's like I like uh, they have very good croissants. In yeah, they the do. The morning they That's do. What I used to get when I lived in Hastings. I used to walk down to the M&S and get croissants. But uh, I like their clothes. Um, but I think all their other food is just extremely overpriced, and it all comes from the same source anyway. So I'd oh, I like their crisps and their sweet selection. I think they've got some banging biscuits and like all sorts of good stuff that I usually yeah. grab. If you're buying like chicken breasts and shit, you're a chump because it's the same shit that you get in a fucking Tesco. But yeah, for some of the branded M and S stuff, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna get some of that." And I like the like the gummy caterpillar things they do, whatever. It's yeah, like, I, don't, I, don't I like all of that. I'm not much of a sweets guy anyway. But um, in terms of chocolate, though, I've been on a kick of Lint uh, sea salt dark chocolate. It's just like perfect. It's absolute perfection. Ooh, you fancy? Just sea salt Lint, and and then like have a two squares of that in the evening after you've had your supper, and I'm a happy boy. Well, I got some good snacks. I got a new pair of jeans. And then I glided out of there on my amazing <laughs> shopping cart. And I glided into the toy shop. And, buddy, there are some dope toys that are out right now. That, oh, like, then? If we were a kid, like, I just... I, I know we watch these shows still. Like, we watch Mando and we have opinions and stuff like that. But there's some fucking sick Lego sets for them. There's some sick action figures. The there Jurassic was... Park... Uh... 30th anniversary Legos coming out soon. And that looks I, dope. I want a lot of it. Yeah, and this this toy store was two floors, so I was like... Two yeah. floors? Yeah, I was I was just loving life today. And then I went into Starbucks, got myself a nice mocha. I was like, today's great! <laughs> like, yeah, but that sounds like a glorious uh, trifecta right there. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm in a great mood. I'm middle-aged. I got excited over going to a new grocery shop, a toy shop, and to get a uh, overpriced coffee what does that tell you <laughs> well i've got my starbucks order on lockdown i get two drinks but they pretty much are the same cost as one regular drink because they're different i get that whatever the cold brew iced coffee is this is the nitrous this is, whatever this is, is the whitest conversation we've ever had by the yeah, way I don't give a shit. <laughs> no i know it's, it's whatever the iced coffee is like pure black Ice mm. coffee. I forgot what it's called, but I, I just get that. And then on the side, I get a half green tea, half lemonade, that which is also cold. And I drink those two motherfuckers. That's so have much a great time. bitter. Like you've got cold. Well, you know brew. me. I, I like bitter. Bitter's a, a, a tech, not texture, a, a flavor palette that I have always enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, maybe that's why you don't like sweet as much because you're more of a bitter guy. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right, let's do a podcast, shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay. The enthusiastic... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get to it. 